Welcome to Forever White Belt, the podcast for martial art enthusiasts who are always looking to learn and grow. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda. In this episode, we're thrilled to have a returning friend of the show, Malachi Friedman. Malachi is a third-degree black belt under the legendary Ricardo Laborio, co-founder of ATT, and has over 20 years' experience in multiple fight disciplines, including MMA, BJJ, boxing, Muay Thai, and wrestling. As the owner and operator of Black Label Martial Arts Academy in Charleston, South Carolina, Malachi is both a strategist and innovator in the sport. In this episode, he shares his latest project design for those interested in making the transition from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to mixed martial arts. Additionally, we discuss Malachi's highly successful kids program and the valuable lessons it teaches, as well as tips and insights for anyone thinking of opening their own martial arts academy and much more. Malachi's expertise and experience makes this episode a must-listen for anyone looking to take their martial arts journey to the next level. So without further ado, let's dive into the conversation. I give you Malachi Friedman. Just a reminder to please give us a five-star review on Apple Music and Spotify and share this podcast with a friend. It really helps us out. Please leave us feedback and suggestions on how we can improve the show and become a VIP member for only 99 cents a month. Yes, less than a dollar. Get ad-free episodes at anchor.fm forward slash forever white belt forward slash subscribe. Like us on Facebook and TikTok at forever white belt and check us out on Instagram at forever white belt show. Go buy your forever white belt swag at teespring, T-E-E spring.com forward slash forever dash white dash belt. Check us out on YouTube now at forever white belt. Finally, if you ever get to beautiful Northern California, please come roll with us at North Bay Jiu Jitsu in Marin County, just north of San Francisco. They're amazing instructors, and everyone there are great people. Mention the podcast and get two weeks free. So, hey, man. It's great to see you. Welcome back. Yeah, man. You got a whole bunch of uh, popular guys on there. I'm glad you got some time for me now. Probably one of my favorite conversations. One of the best episodes, I think. You guys need to go back and listen to it. I believe it's episode four, especially for Malachi's background and everything. And But Malachi, first of all, I got to thank you for being on the show back in September 2020, because I think you were one of the first instrumental guests to get the show sort of some uh, foundation that it needed to sort of get going. I was an OG, man. (laughs) What's been happening since September 2020? Well, it's not COVID. Well, COVID's gone, right? That doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) But there's so many things that have gone on as far as my gym, as far as my projects, as far as the different opportunities I've been given to record stuff, to do stuff, to be in, around some brilliant people. Uh, I mean, I could just tell you so much about the gym. The gym, because when I was talking to you last time, I had so much of an issue because there were people that I was trying to hold on to in my, my gym that I had for a while, but were somewhat toxic to the environment and culture. And I had to make like a really hard decision of kind of getting rid of a group of people that necessarily didn't have the gyms and academies best interest in their heart and it was really difficult for me so I was really kind of going through some rocky stuff and you know of course you know people have you know they have the Facebook groups where they're all like hidden away and they're like well this is what's happening this was happening and I just got kicked out blah 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 but after that happened I my culture of my gym is just amazing. Walking in there, I used to I used to walk in there and feel like kind of like a gut wrenching feeling, like there's just people that didn't like me, you know, which just makes zero sense because you can go to any gym you want. But now I have about 460 students. I'm doing really well. My kids' team has done so well that we won 
we actually won five titles in the state and surrounding st cities and the surrounding cities in our state. So I have a black belt club. Now we're finishing kids with like shin over neck arm bars. We're, we're hitting like really adult submissions. We're hitting spider guard stuff. I mean, at four and five, six years old, because I'm able to, to spend more time with them. What I want to do also is break down some of these things into some categories here, because last time we spoke, you had talked about goals. And I'm curious from 2020, have you hit those goals? You know, what goals sort of have changed and what's tweaked? I know your your kids program has exploded. I remember you were just sort of talking about it. It was kind of, you came out with like a kid's dummy. I mean, there's so many things that happened. And the reputation for your kids program has grown. I mean, I hear people talk about it. your name comes up when I hear about kids programs uh, because it's been so successful. So let's, let's talk about your goals, you know, from back then to where, where they are now. So I'm going to hope I remember my goals because I set a lot of goals and I, when I get them, I kind of, it's either a keep or it's a, you did really good at this, throw this away. Now what's next? You know, I think that's a lot for my instructionals. I don't hold on to my instructionals very well. I, I get something completed. I'm happy with it. I see that there's a positive outlook on it and then I toss it away because I'm, I need to do more. But with the kids, it's, it's just, it's ongoing. I have so many kids that like really make me happy teaching. You know, like I walk in there and I'm, thank God my kids classes before my adult class because they get kind of get me like ramped up going. I was able to work on a, a dummy with Century slash Gameness. So Gameness has the dummies. And I was working on trying to make a little bit of modifications, but the, the just the cost itself was kind of hard to, to make it work. But I was able to put a DVD out for that. So I have an, I have an instructional on Gameness that you could take a, one of their dummies and you could go over how to do over the dominant positions. And I teach parents. And also I was going to teach instructors how to like, so like a kid's instructor, like this is how I do this. So how do I get them to memorize different positions? How do I get them to flow through these positions? How do we make positions turn into like neon belly, side control, case Katami, north, south, like moving through these different positions. And then we do like Simon says, and then there's like a volume two where they start going neon belly switches. So they're like switching back and forth. Now they're stepping over. There, there's so many things that then they use the dummy. So like getting a three-year-old and having, and also knowing that my students who have like four-year-old kids who are doing it with me, but then they have a two-year-old at home and they ha and they're doing that with them, getting them prepared for the class that they're going to be in. So it's gone really, really well. And I've had some gyms reach out to me like that had made like maybe orders of like a hundred, a hundred dummies. And they, you know, everybody puts their own spin on it. I like, you know, any black belt's going to, um, they add different things, but you could do takedowns on it. So the biggest thing was that during the pandemic, we didn't know when we were going to be back open. We didn't know when California or New York was going to open. Like, so even when I was back open, California and New York and Australia and these places like that weren't open. And so it was like, well, how do you give kids jujitsu when it, the parent doesn't know jujitsu? So that instructional was teaching the parent jujitsu alongside the child and allowing them to correct them, but also play the games with them, you know? And so like they would, they would be able to move along with them. And so that, that was really, really something that I think I, I knocked out of the park. Maybe it's not worldwide yet. Maybe it's not one of those things. I mean, I'm certainly, whenever my name grows a little bit here and there, more and more people buy stuff from me. And then I get people that are like, oh man, I, that Darce Killer was amazing. I did the Darce Killer in 2015, 16. And it's still, people are just finding out about it. And that's okay. Yeah, if I was Gordon Ryan, right? 
that thing would have been known. Everybody would have Dar's killer. Everybody would know it. His name is his name's value. Do you know how I many I give away? So I have like a group now, right? So I have like a Maliki Friedman Unlimited. I've given away so many. So I think I'm probably the person that has a subscription site that has instructionals that owns a ton of my instructionals, right? So I own like I like to have control over a lot of my stuff because sometimes they're going to push your stuff the right way. Sometimes they're not going to, and sometimes that means that all the effort you put into something is kind of buried away and nobody's getting to it when I can go, hey, I'm giving away 10 of these. And I know that that's going to spread. So I've given away so many Darce Killers, Heisengards, stuff like that, just out of people like when I hit 25 or when I hit 40K, I gave away 22 instructionals. That was my goal was to give away 22 instructionals. And I did. I were there in my Facebook group or they were in my Instagram. And I feel happy because sometimes I know that they're not going to buy it. And sometimes I'm happy that it's torrented. I don't know. Like, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll see it on a torrent site. I'm like, you know what? That's okay. As long as people are seeing it and they're understanding the value that I put into that and they're able to, you know, hopefully follow me more. Maybe they're going to decide. Cause that's, I mean, I've done that too. I, I've torrented things. Allegedly. Plenty of times. Allegedly. I, so I'll torrent something and I will 100% buy their next thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so it's like, if they do something fantastic, I will watch it. I'll be like, man, that was actually, because a lot of this stuff out there is crap. Like, that's just it. Like, it's just a name and it's like 12 moves just done over over two hours and it's nothing. I mean, maybe it's something to, to a white belt or a blue belt, but it's really, it's really nothing new. It's in 40 other people's instructionals. And, but if, if they put out something amazing, like, man, I've bought Jake McKenzie's DVDs. He's amazing. He's a fantastic teacher. I, I subscribe to Lachlan Giles. So like a lot of his stuff that is intricate, he doesn't put out as much intricate stuff, but he puts out a lot of basic things in the beginning and he kind of how he dials it in and how he, his stuff is a little bit different than the way I, I was traditionally learned it and also the way that I teach it. So a lot of times I watch his stuff for like the first 12 videos. So there's guys out there that I think are really, really talented and I'll put my money into those guys because I'm, I'm hoping the same for me when people view my stuff. Yeah, you see some of these unknowns or, or lesser known people that are putting things out on, on YouTube and things like that where you're like, wow, it's sort of like the early days of like a BJJ scout or something like that, you know, where you're like, where did this guy come yeah, from? So yeah, yeah. These are fascinating insights. But as far as getting back to like your, your instructionals and things like that and the ownership of it. You're a guy that's worn so many different, wears so many different hats, as to say, academy owner, uh, instructor for kids, adults, content creator, and this businessman, FMA, we can go on and on. And as far as owning your own content too, I've seen, what it's interesting is I've seen some of your same content on different platforms. So whether it's like a Jiu-Jitsu Days or Fanatics or Jiu-Jitsu X, it's, it's sort of like traveled with you. And now you have... What, your own website? Yeah, I have my own website. I'm actually in the middle of upgrading. So I have Podia, and that is not necessarily the most aesthetic thing. It's great if you know what you're looking for, but I'm now moving over to Uscreen. And that's the same people that do like Hodger Gracie stuff. It's the same people that do like Gracie Baja stuff. And so they have, it's kind of like, a, it looks like a Netflix and it's truly well done and I can get it customized to myself and how I have my brand is. And so I'm putting all my subscription site onto there and I'm also putting all my instructionals on there and I'll move everybody over that already purchased or is already part of that. But 
I hope that they feel like I'm giving them more value. Like every single time I give something, I want people to understand that I'm never trying to like cut corners. I'm always trying to like, the only reason why I would cut corners is because I don't have the money to do so. You know what I mean? Or it doesn't make financial reasons for me to make, to make a big jump. But as soon as I have the financial ability and I'm like, okay, well now I'm making enough money to cover what I, what I would pay these guys. So I go, okay, well then I'm going to do it because that's what, number one, that's what people want. And number two, that's what people deserve if I can give it to them. Another thing is, which is just very, very huge. I'm doing a, so I've been, I'm going to fly back out to Vegas again. Like I said, I'm an MMA instructor. So I've been involved in MMA instruct, uh, coaching MMA for, I started with MMA. You know, I didn't start with jujitsu. I started, I learned jujitsu because I was a terrible wrestler. I, I'm flying out to Vegas and I'm working with a guy named Joachim Ingberg, who was Alistair Overeem's coach, coaches a ton of people out in Sweden. He's going to, every time he's in town. And then I'm working with Dennis Davis. He's the head coach of Extreme Couture. And we have probably 12 UFC fighters in our videos showing techniques, but we also have about 16 hours worth of just one thing, which is takedowns, ground control in the middle of the cage, cage work, cage takedowns, cage control on the ground, and ground and pound. So it's like we worked from 10 a.m. to 1.30 and still didn't finish because of how much stuff we had. And we in the previous day, we did four hours. So we've done about 20 hours worth of work, and I got to fly back down there and do more. But this is one of those things where we all, it was like me, Dennis, and Joaquin, we all looked at each other, and, and we had the same idea, and we're like, man, if I knew this was out, I would buy this. Like, if I knew that this was here, I would want this. And some of the stuff they're teaching, I don't necessarily do or know as well as them. So I'm excited to watch some of their segments because I don't know it as well. And we've kind of blended our segments together, show the different things that we enjoy. We work off each other. Um, and we're going to use that as a subscription site, too. There's uh, Nothing's ever been done like it. Nothing. And I've, I'm fully committed to that right now. That's like, besides everything else, I'm, I'm 100% committed to that because that, it's it's just something that's never been done. And I know from being around people in the game that it's just not out there. Like, so if you have like an MMA guy from like, you know, let's say BFE Montana, right. And he is working as hard as he's a wrestling coach. He fought MMA, but he just doesn't know the highest level stuff or he just doesn't, he has a job. So he can't study like we study, you know, like we're studying matches and like Joachim studied over a thousand knockouts right? And has put together a research paper of this. The guy is a film studies things and is a just pure scientist. And then you got Dennis Davis, who's been around some of the best fighters in the world forever coaching them. And you got me who I'm a, I like to think is I'm a, I'm a mechanical innovator. So I've constantly watched things, taken things from other people, switched them up slowly, took in jujitsu, the main parts of jujitsu. That's what the biggest thing people don't understand in MMA Right. So I'm talking to people as like, Hey, I fought and I was, I was involved in this for nine years. I was at one of the, at two of the best camps, right. Is that jujitsu taught me how to control people similar to how Khabib did. So the gi taught me, right. The, the gi itself taught me a lot of control points and I'm able to take that stuff from the gi or I'm able to take that stuff from just jujitsu and for, if I kind of put it into the top layer of my MMA top game. So I'm, I'm excited. That's one of the things I'm super duper excited about. And I've, I'm flying back and forth like every weekend. That's how serious I am about this stupid thing. It's, it's, it's amazing.
Is the target audience for this then like your MMA practitioner as well as like an MMA coach or something like that? If you're not buying stuff to improve your game in MMA, then you are doing so poor for yourself because jujitsu people are doing this all the time, right? And we're getting better from this, right? We're learning things. We don't have to be under Cobrinha to get some of Cobrinha's magic. We don't have to be, you know what I mean? Like that's the most special thing. And for coaches in MMA, they're, they're real, or even fighters, fighters are like, but coach is supposed to show me that. Your coach don't know everything. Your coach doesn't, like, if you like this game, trust me, there is so many good things on this instructional that you're going to lose your goddamn mind. And mm-hmm. on the other side of it, you have coaches that think that they, well, I know already stuff. And those are the guys that are never going to grow their students past what they know. Because unless they're fighting and they're, they're training with the top camps and then come back to their, to their gym, you need to, like, so I go out, anytime I go somewhere, I pay somebody a private lesson, right? And I learned this from uh, John Maxwell. He said that his wife and him would take vacations and he'd find a church or he'd find something somewhere. He'd write down a bunch of questions for the guy and he would pay him $100 for an interview. And he would hmm. just get information from them. And luckily enough, sometimes I don't have to buy privates. I can trade like I, I teach at the school or I, or I do some things or at least there's just enough respect between us where there's like, yeah, man, you tell me stuff. Well, I'll tell you stuff. We'll work together. And we're able to kind of like figure out like, well, people ask me, well, what, what's your warm up for guys? And that's kind of crazy because I don't have a forced workout. You know what I mean? I don't have a forced set workout for any of my, my, my fighters where as many of the most top coaches in the world in MMA, they have a forced workout warm up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like a warm up that, that this yeah. fighter does. Every single time he goes out to fight, and in my my opinion, I'm I'm kind of I do things kind of spur the moment. I change things. I want it to be this way or like, you know, very nuanced. But it's true that when you're down to the fight, sometimes systems and organization is really important, so that guy doesn't have to overload on thinking. I want to open up the channel of thinking. I don't want to start feeding thinking. So that's the name of us, the winning corner. So three coaches. It's, it's a, so it's about, so you know how I changed up my um, Instagram a bit, right? Yeah. It looks nicer. It looks like you've invested in all these different things. You know, more and more you're investing a little more, it seems like. This will be my shout out. Uh, Kyle Cranchy, he's changed the name of his business. But if you reach out to me, I'll put you in touch if you guys are trying to get something looking cleaner, smoother, try to get what, I'm, what I do. I mean, I just couldn't do it. That's the honest God truth. I tried my hardest and I put out good stuff that I thought was really, really, really good. And I was really proud of, mm-hmm. and sometimes it would hit 400 likes or like a thousand views. And it's like, that's kind of sad because I know how good it is. I know that if I saw that, I would be like, oh, but the algorithm is really important. It, uh, sometimes the qu- the quality matters, right? So when somebody's scrolling through it, they need to see it's clean and they see writing. And you, more, most people, when they see writing and they read it, they want to read the next thing right after it. So you kind of get your foot in the door that way. But also, these I see people trying to mimic it and trying to do the same thing. They don't understand that my guy's looking at the algorithm and he's seeing how things are playing and he's putting me in those spots to get more views. And I'm still the same guy. It's not like I've changed anything. Sometimes I give the etiquette stuff. Sometimes I do this. But to be honest, that's a wide net, right? So it's a big net to catch a lot of fish. And then those fish that were interested in my original stuff that I put out now and then, it starts to narrow it down and maybe those guys buy for me. But I get a lot of beginners and that's that's fine. It's like, I don't know why I was just trying to appeal to one group of people that were blue belts, purple belts, brow belts, 
when sometimes purple belts or blue belts aren't really blue belts. They're still white belts, at least in my mind. You know, they still have questions on the simplest things. And sometimes you got to go back and simplify things. You got to make, you know, you got you to kind of look at yourself and be like, am I making this for me or am I making this for them? And I always want to impress myself. I always want to be happy with what I put out. But it doesn't mean that I have to shock myself every time I do something and be like, damn, that's good. Let's put that out. <laughs> get heartbroken when, it's get, when it gets nothing. And I'm like, you're like, crap. I mean, because, dude, I have so many cool stuff that I put out. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, honestly, things that I've never seen in my entire life. It's not like I'm, like, lying to people and telling people, like, I watch something and then I take it from them. Now, there's stuff that I yeah. figure out, and I'm like, maybe it's out there already with somebody else, but honest to God, I found it, and I show it, and then it gets nothing. It gets, you know, it doesn't it doesn't get the same push. Yeah. But your stuff, it, it does amaze me that tons of more people don't know about yourself or, or someone else, you know, and, and the generations are always changing, you know, people come in and out. But that's interesting that you were talking about blue and purple belts, because as we know, the biggest pool of jujitsu practitioners are the white belts out there, although they do tend to drop off precipitously before blue belt. But uh, if you can capture that market, yeah, they pay. But they're the first ones that Google, they Google, you know what I mean? They're like, I don't know how to tie my belt, blah, blah, blah. How do I get out of this guard? You know what I mean? Like it's, and I get it. They're running into the most problems. The people running into the most problems health-wise are going to go to whatever, doctor.com, whatever, med, WebMD. They go to WebMD the most, more than other people that are they're feeling great. Well, so your white belt, who's not feeling great because he's getting smushed all over the place, he's going to be searching. When you get to somewhere and you can meet that person halfway between some stuff is advanced, some stuff isn't advanced, then fine. You know, like if people want to see my super cool stuff, go on my subscription site, go on my instructionals. Hey, follow me. You can win an instructional. I'm talking about giving away stuff all the dang time because I'm trying to, I want to reach people and I want people to know. And I'm, and when I have the financial ability to do more things, like put out these instructionals that I'm doing now that are done by Kyle, it allows me to, to speak more to people and, and to give more, you know, and give away more because I'm getting more somewhere else. I don't have to covet my instructionals. What advice would you give to someone like yourself? Yeah, I, I would have said, wait until you know what you're doing, until you've exhausted yourself. Because I exhausted myself three or four years ago with trying to figure it out. You know I mean? Like I was trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out, trying to get people to stuff and I was getting some good stuff from people that you know were well respected I but I would have told us like as soon as you exhaust your, yourself because you have to build a base and if you build a base off of you start that way I don't think it's going to work out very well but I really grew as a jiu-jitsu instructor so that was important that it's important to grow too you know I mean like thank god there wasn't like or like my space isn't around or there wasn't like Facebook when I was a kid because it's the same thing where you want to be able to be make sure that number one, you are capable of giving good instruction. That's primary. You have to be, you can't just be a coach that thinks that they have something to give when you actually don't. So when you feel like you have something to give and you're looking around and you're going, okay, well then yeah, you have to invest in yourself. And that's scary because it's not, it's not cheap to invest in yourself. As soon as you invest in yourself and you see a return, now you know that you weren't wrong about yourself. You just needed help from people that knew what they were doing so that they could get you in front of other people. And that's that's basically what I would tell myself is like, hey, when you're confident, when you're beyond confident, invest in yourself again. And, and that's what I'm going to do from now on. I'm never going to cut corners. I'm going to invest in myself when things need to be invested in because that's, I'm, I'm king of ideas. Right. I'm a king of ideas. 
then I'm like, well, that costs too much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, if I really, really believe in it, I got to invest in it. So that's it. That's the, that's the advice I, I would give myself. And I advice I give everybody else. If you really, 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 really believe in yourself, the money's going to come back. If you don't believe in yourself, then it's a gamble. And sometimes you get the island boys. So you could be an island boy and you could be making it now or whatever they're doing. I don't know what they're doing. But one day the wonders aren't bad. I mean, think about, you know, who let the dogs out. They're probably raking in cash. Sounds like you've been, as of late, being really deep into MMA thought and how do I optimize my product thought? So where do the other things fall in line in terms of like the academy and everything else? So when I invest in something else, I don't take my eyes off of the other stuff. So the business and the academy still has my attention from around 8 a.m. to around 3.30. Then the academy has my attention from 3.30 till about 9. Then whatever project that I'm working on that's important for that time period, I give about two and a half to three hours a day. So it could be my kids' curriculum, which I've done. I, I just created my kids' curriculum. I did. I finished all of that. I did. I created a black belt club curriculum. I did all of that. When I get close to something, like so, like I'm always inventing. I'm always coming up because I have to coach an MMA class. So I'll, I'll film something that I have an idea about. Of course, I'll, I'll do a lot of uh, visualization. I'll, I'll be thinking about positions and stuff like that. But the truth is that when I have something like this MMA thing, my three hours are devoted to that. When I have something where I'm, I'm, I'm transferring things from Podia to this, I'm giving at least 45 minutes to an hour of, of changing things over. When I'm my business, that never stops. That's how I make, that's how I feed my family. So this is what I have. My kids' classes, my adult classes, my online students, my Instagram, my MMA, my MMA online students and filming. And those are things that I give a little bit more time, a little bit less time, depending on the time period, and also depending on when I need it done. Like, so if, if I have to add this, I'm not going to study probably anything until the plane ride there for MMA. I've done so much of the MMA stuff. I just, all I needed, I have it written down. Most of it's done in my head. I just need to refresh myself with it, make sure that I, the stuff I like when I get in there with, with the guys, we of course have about three hours where we sit down and we have a conversation and we type things out, we write things out. So I'll be able to really walk in then. The biggest thing is that like, yeah, I have a lot of projects, but none of those projects ever go to the wayside. I never put them away. Just like the, like if I'm not working for a kid's program right now, uh, out there, like in the the metaverse or whatever verse we're going to be in at some point online, then I'm working with my kids and that's going to directly affect the people that are out there. Hmm. So I'm working with my kids on the Black Belt Club, finding out what kids are capable of at what ages. You know, like, because there's grips, there's things, there's like, you know, collars, four and five-year-olds can't make deep collar grips. They can't make really strong sleeve grips. If they can, how do I develop that? I'm doing all that in the gym right now. So I'm going to have my kids black belt club at four o'clock today, right? And I'm going to try about three different things. Okay. I was going to ask you, what is black belt club? My classes. So if you saw my last story, my classes have gotten so big and I added so many. So I have a beginner a beginner Cubs, which means three to seven years old, an advanced Cubs three to seven, a beginner champs eight to eight to fourteen, a adva- uh, beginner champs, advanced mm. champs, and then at the black belt club is because these kids got so good at jujitsu, and their their parents are committed, they're committed that I opened up a Tuesday Thursday invite only to kids that were capable of doing things that were beyond what I could possibly show, or maybe I was getting held back because of the size of the group that could 
the group can only go so far, right? But these individuals could go much farther. And I decided, hey, I didn't have to come to the gym until six o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Those were my easy days because I had MMA. So I was like six o'clock and I leave the gym around 10. Instead, because my thing was so important that I needed more time for them. So I gave it to them. That's basically the biggest thing is that they needed time. I made sure I gave it to them and I feel better about myself because it's going into the bank for later when it, and it's getting filmed already. Well, because I film everything I coach. So it will go into the online students. It will go into the kids curriculum that I will make available for people online from other places. That's awesome. I was about to ask, let's extract some of that value from you right now. Just, I'm a new academy owner. I want to develop a kid's program. What advice would you give me? And I am an existing academy owner. I have a kid's program. It's doing okay. What can I do to bump it to the next level? Number one, new instructor. Make sure you focus on jujitsu. Stop focusing on games. Like we're not karate. A lot of parents take their kids to karate or they have the after school band pick them up. That's what they're going to do. Invest in, I would say, like, I, I hate to plug myself, but I would invest in Jiu-Jitsu Star for kids, youngest kids. Oh. Jiu-Jitsu Star is the thing with the, the dummies and you move throughout the, the dominant positions. And then you have to figure out what things can a three or a three to six-year-old learn when they first walk in. Osotogari, double legs. They're going to learn I, I, Kimura sweep, back take, back escape, forward scoots, backward scoots, technical stand-ups. You got to develop this all into something, but then at the same time, you got to develop it so that the class is moving the entire time. You have to be a ringleader, not a ringleader like a, like a gang ringleader, but like a circus ringleader. Your voice has to be loud. You have to be presenting all the time. You have to be like, okay, everybody on the wall. All right, I want you standing. Everybody get up. All right, I want you to grab the collar. Grab the collar. You have the collar? Yes, sir. Get the sleeve. Get the sleeve. I walk him through the Osotogari alone, right, solo, then I walk them through the Osotogari when they're with each other. And I'm, I make sure that my energy is up. I make sure that there's no room for kids to start to wander and their brains to start to take off. I make sure that I'm running the show so well that there's uh, no way for them to fade off. And then the parents see it. The parents love it, right? So the parents are being entertained because they see how involved I am. And then more kids come and they may be new, but they can easily fall into line because they see the other kids doing it. And I create that culture. Once I create that culture, it kind of goes through all the other kids. The other kids kind of like infect the other kids with, with a positive culture and a positive mindset and a growth mindset. So that was number one. Number two is the instructor that's not doing so well, right? Or doing okay. He's going to look at his class. He needs to look at his culture. What kind of culture is he? Who is he as a person, number one, right? Because you can't, it's very hard to pretend who you are. If you don't like kids, then you need to find somebody else who does. Like, if you don't like it, it's going to come out. You can only fake the funk for so long. I really enjoy being around kids, teaching kids. But if you do enjoy all this, figure out, but you're like, but I'm a coach. I don't want to do this, or I don't want to do it this way. Well, then you're the same person as me that didn't want to, didn't want to give out easier technical advice to white belts rather than giving to purple belts. Well, man, you got to be loud. You got to be, you got to be fun. You, I don't play games. So that's one thing, like maybe I'll, I'll play a game at the last three minutes. We'll do like, this is very rare. Duck, duck, goose. What once with the kids, just so just to make them happy. But if there's a game, we play guard game. So it's like tag, but with, you got to pull the kid into your guard and they become a guard getter. 
and I have stuff like back takes. So they start with the back, ready, go. And if the kid goes to the mouth or keeps the back, he wins. If the kid escapes and comes on top or puts him in half guard, they win. So I make games out of these micro positions and they enjoy it. It's one of those things. I also do Red Rover, you know, like Red Rover where you send somebody over. So we do Red Rover, but in order to, to take somebody out, you have to you have to, to point at them and be like, okay, you, and then you have to be able to take them down. If yeah. you take them down, they, you take them to your team. If the other side, they take them down, you take them to their team. And so I'm making, yeah, is there games? Sometimes there's games, but none of them are the Gracie games, you know, like where you're basically just shrimping and playing some form of something. No, this is where they're actually working hard throughout the entire thing. And it involves the techniques that we're working on. That's surprising because I, I always thought games were like essential to like a kid's program, if not like the foundational intro thing, because the funness is what gets them in. So once they realize that none of the kids care about games, but they're having a great time playing, doing what they're doing, it infects the kids. If it was games that, that kept me open, if it was games that I had 50 kids on the mat, on one mat, it's like, so I had, I had four classes. So I had 98 kids in total that day, right? But 50 kids on the mat in one particular class. If I didn't have that and games were where it was at, possibly I would do it. I don't know if, if I would be, if I could, my heart would be in it because I'm just not purely into, I, I like teaching jitsu. And then you have to have an outlier. So like, it's very important that when you have like, so sometimes they can be a disruption is having a kid who's very, very good and they want to compete. And so sometimes that's kind of an outlier, but once they, once you, you, you nurture that a little bit and that kid wins and they come back with medals and trophies kids see that and they want that too and so you can start to develop a real co good competition kids team off of one or two kids that are competing and they're bringing in trophies and they're bringing in their medals and you tell them to bring them in you make a round of applause and you tell them when the next tournament is you say hey if you don't want to compete you can come out and cheer for us you know what i mean and then they see like the kids do it they're like hey i i could do this you know like and, and or the parents are like yeah you should do this you know and Win or lose, we're having a great time. We win a ton. We win so much. But when we lose, yeah, it's sad. Sometimes kids cry. It is what it is. It's an emotional thing because it's not just like baseball. Like I, you, people cry at baseball too when they lose. But it's also an emotional thing because you're putting out somewhat like a fight. You know, so it's a, it's a large rush. And then your, your emotions are just tapped all over the place. You may not be in any pain. You're just, you're gone. And you cry. And then once you cry, it's over, you know? And then you watch your friends compete. We developed that culture and thank God it feels like that because I, I'm really happy. And that's weird to say, like, I'm happy where I'm at with my, with my kids' classes. And we're seeing the fruits of your labor in terms of your kids' program in terms of it being a little bit tougher. One of my favorite quotes from our original conversation that I often bring up with other guests is, I remember you being sort of frustrated with the state of things and you were saying, you know, I wish that jujitsu could be more like a Soviet program in that they paid me, the state paid me where no matter what, and I'm teaching them basically to work hard and, and for it to be, to be hard and, and none of this sort of no gloves kind of thing, you know, nothing, nothing easy here. But I, I could see you wanting to go in that direction where it's like it was frustrating you. Yeah, I mean, it was hard to, it's hard to sell something to four different, five different people who all want something different. They want their kid to be nurtured. They want their kid to have fun. They want their kid to learn, learn how to defend himself. What I tell parents now is like, hey, when you sign up with me, 
your kid will learn either to love the sport or in within one year, kids who are going to bully him, right? So like, let's say the kid hates it or he doesn't want to do it anymore. If he does this with me for two times a week and he does it for a year, your child will be able to defend himself. And the way I go into this is that, so I said, look at a crab. A crab has claws. Take away the crab's claws. That crab is now a meaningless crab. Like it's not even what we can reimagine as a crab, right? Now it's just a bug. It's a bug that we eat or whatever it is. It's, it's just something. You take away your children's claws because our claws are our brains and our ability to drill and to do things and to learn, right? So those are our claws because we weren't born with claws or, or razor, razor blades, or like Wolverine. We're not born like that. We're born with the ability to learn and understand things. And if your child is not, he's got crab without claws. And it, believe it or not, the bullies are usually crab without claws. They're just bigger. Or they've been bullied by their brothers or something like that where they're tougher and they know how to punch. But once your kid gets jujitsu, he gets his claws, those kids are not going to mess with them. Especially if he can take them on the ground and just sit on them and hold them down. That's the most embarrassing thing that could ever happen to a, fit, a fifth grader. And fifth graders, fourth graders, they could do this to each other without hurting one another. And I, that's what I tell them. I was like, either you're doing this for self-defense, then that's what you're going to get after a year with me. You don't want to continue? We understand. If you do want to continue, hopefully we, we nicked you with that bug. The culture bit you. The competition culture bit you. The sport culture bit you. Or just the general environment bit you and you're, you're addicted to it. Fantastic. You're going to be part of the team for a long time. That's the thing. And so if they want to do ballet or they want to do something else, it's like make sure each kid has a set of claws because not understanding how to fight is taking away your one defense that you have. Like we can say like, oh, well, I have two fists. I can throw these. Dude, you don't know what you're doing. If, you're, if you've ever been grabbed by a, a crab, you know those crabs know something about their damn claws. <laughs> you know, they're tearing apart whatever, whatever flesh. Dude, they get me. When I used to go crabbing, man, those things used to get me. I used to, man. So yeah, so that's how I look at it with, you know, with the, I just want people to learn and thank goodness I was able to get that kind of, and I'm not the hard, I'm not a hard ass. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm friendly. I laugh, but I'm also serious when they're making mistakes or I'm serious when they're not doing what I want. And uh, I truly believe that I cannot become John Donaher because I can never speak like him. And I have a wife, so I have to be I had, you know what I mean? Like I have a wife and, and family, you know, in, a, in an academy. These are things I have to worry about. He obviously is, chose the, chose the bachelor life of jujitsu and committing himself. But I believe I could be something like a John Donaher for kids where I understand how to develop a program. And I'm even developing a program that was really, really, really torn apart by somebody. They gave me the, they gave me the affiliation and uh, COVID happened and then they, communicated with all their, because I guess that wasn't in the plans for them, COVID. And they kind of orchestrated something to make it fall apart. But the culture was so bad there that I only took the kid. the kids came, actually moved to my school that had good cult, that had like a good set of wanting to be there. And now I bring my kids over there. And once I brought my kids over to that area, like I bring like six kids over there, right? The entire gym changes. The entire culture changes. Everybody's enjoying training. Everybody's enjoying doing technique. They're enjoying rolling. They don't mind the structure. It's all in who you bring in, who's around you. And if they respect those kids about who are around them, they're going to fall into place. And that's the, that's the beautiful thing. And thank God, you know, I stuck with it and I, and I pushed hard because otherwise I'd be still bitching with you today. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm feeling really good, and I'm on the I'm on the forever white belt after it it blew up. So that's always important. <laughs> yeah, you know, listen, that's the truth, dude. You yeah. blew up. I mean, I'm super proud of you, man. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I've been super fortunate. Yeah, it was. You know, sometimes I, I I mentioned there's a few people where I catch lightning in a bottle, and I think with you it was was definitely one of those moments. Improving your mobility and recovery will only benefit your BJJ, and as such, we highly recommend you try Yoga for BJJ at yogaforbjj.net. Use our code FWB, all uppercase FWB, to get 20% off your subscription, yogaforbjj.net. So one of the things I want to know and get your insight in is, uh, I don't know if you've been keeping up on it, I would imagine so, is competitions, especially ADCC. Since the last time we talked, we've got to keep referring back to 2020. We've seen the ascension of ADCC and its importance, right? You, any of your thoughts on that, your observations? I don't know what's going to happen with the with the event itself. It's kind of insane that it grew to that level from, I was there in 2000 and I want to say 18. I was there uh, for, I think that was when Gordon beat Bushesha. And then they didn't have 2020, then they did maybe 2022 they just did, or 2021, I don't know when they did it. It was because it was they had to push it off from 2020. And seeing people like, I, I know Joe Rogan doesn't seem like a huge sponsor, but he's a huge sponsor. And then you yeah. see, when I was at Anaheim and I saw like, it was it felt like a basketball game. You know, it felt like it was like a, a playoffs. Okay. So I, I think it's going to keep growing. I think it's going to keep doing well more people like hopefully nothing interrupts the the steam of jiu-jitsu itself so there i think the event will, will continue to grow i think we just need to be careful we don't need to go on tv yet you know what i mean until we figure it out we don't need to go on maybe espn like whatever two or whatever like i think that would do be fantastic mm-hmm. i think i think they would have a lot of viewers there but i don't want to go on tv too soon when people don't understand the rule set and people are clubbing each other for we we understand that 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 stand up boring stuff is essential game planning, but it's the same right. reason why right. people don't watch soccer, because the ball is launching to one side to the other side, but they don't understand that they're trying to like break something in the beginning, and it starts to once it starts to break, mm-hmm. it becomes a real game, right? Like so, once people start to make that that right. push through, but it's just very hard for somebody who doesn't know what they're watching to watch somebody slap the back of somebody's mm-hmm. neck for for ten minutes. So I don't think that they should jump into, into any kind of like anything like that right away. Isn't ADCC no, no longer on Flow anymore? Uh, no, they are not. I think who's number one is Flow's premier. Jump to somebody big, Fight Pass. Yeah, maybe Fight Pass. That, I mean, that'd be good. It's cheaper than Flow. Flow's killing us. But we're seeing these things. Yeah, you see Flow with who's number one now with their you know recent thing was supposed to be Felipe Pena and Gordon. Which ended up being Nicky Rod, and and then uh, we see what one now Amazon's one. Everyone's trying to go there now too, or a lot of people are trying to get contracts Shout out there. to my my guy who's also on the instructional, Jared Brooks, who who won the title. They said, "Oh, respect, honor, humility. We love this. As long as you come to fight, we're going to be your fan." And that's this dude. Nobody follows him on Instagram. He chewed up four guys that were that were the top division in a row, eight wow. up, and he became the one champion. And then guys still didn't love them. So now it's now I just gotta crush them just constantly, keep the foot on their necks. So anyway, one one bo- one bothers me in that that manner, whereas they they they're not pride. And that's unfortunate because pride loved everybody. 
it's just amazing now, though, how ADCC is the sort of like goal now for every grappler, right? It's the Super Bowl at this point for every grappler. All of a sudden, it and I'm sure it's been for a while actually. But uh, I'm curious, you know, because they put so much money into it. The production is amazing. I mean, they're filling like gigantic places now with what fourteen thousand people or something. And sure, it's pay per view and stuff, but that's really a big deal for the jujitsu community. Who can be the competition? To them, you know, who can be the alternative? Because can it really just be this one thing? I think ADCC is going to be that one thing. It's always been that one thing for Nogi grapplers, right? I think it's that that mm. there wasn't much stuff out there, anyways. There wasn't much Nogi grappling unless you watched like Grappler Quest or you were watching like you know, like when Grappler's Quest was was big. It had like Gary Tunnan, it had Bill Cooper, it had like Cyborg. So it is the premier Nogi thing, and is the premier championship to win we know that because we know how difficult it is to win there so can people beat it yeah when they offer more money because they're not offering exclusive contracts and they're and they're only two times a year that's the rub right i mean that's how the ufc benefits right with all these exclusive contracts with fighters like when are we going to see an organization start signing i mean we've seen what gordon signed with uh with who flow but he gets to do everything if, so if they do something like pfl right where they're getting a yearly salary on top of wins, right? right? That's where you'll start to see jiu-jitsu people move over is if they can do a league and they can do a season and they can, and there could be a world championships or a world series or where, however they're doing their, their championships. And you see fighters that are able to financially take care of themselves and make money and just train to be a champion because a lot of guys are training just to be a champion but they're doing it off of shoestring budgets. You know, they're, they're trying their best to, to live their life. And their goal is to, is to even qualify. You know what I mean? Because some guys who are amazing didn't, didn't qualify. I, I, some of the guys that, that got invited, I don't think would have qualified. Well, that's a whole other product, too, that's gigantic now, too, is ADCC yeah. trials. There was big take. I went to one or two of them. It was giant. You know, these things, these people were coming out from from guys that didn't know what the hell they were doing to guys that were just murderers. Like, you got Wagner Rocha there. Then you got a guy who's been training for six years. It's like, dude, you are in trouble. You're in so much trouble right now. He's going to be so mean to you. <laughs> you. You get some of the meanest guys in there that, that they don't care how how young you are or, like, how young in the sport you are. They're just going to chew through you. Yeah, I was just talking to Jason Rao about this, and he was also saying that, uh, yeah, uh, Trials needs to have some sort of secondary tier now because there's just too many people there. And as you mentioned, you, this mixture of, like, basically professionals and, and amateurs, you know what I mean, where there's such a large discrepancy and the numbers are so huge that they're going to have to do something about that. Yeah, I'll be interested when they – so, like, Gordon does really, really well, but I'll be interested when we can – look at people like the Rotolo brothers. And I, I think jujitsu is very side by side of how skateboarding went. So like skateboarding was like kind of like an underground thing. And then videos came out and then some like they, companies would have their own teams and then you would get to know the person. So that's one of the big things that I think that, that jujitsu is making a mistake in is that mm. we don't know their personalities so that we can't attach ourselves to them. So the same way that everybody attached themselves to Conor McGregor, who was a white guy and maybe half any any type of Irish or had a drinking problem, was like, I'm like that guy. And it's like, right. no, you're not. That dude's from Ireland. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that dude's straight from Ireland, and you don't talk like that. Stop pretending that, you, that you're Conor McGregor. You know, like, <laughs> and so you need somebody that you can relate to 
And that really drives the sport, especially for kids. It drives the sport, especially for, for fans, is when you relate to somebody and you are, are, are committed to their character. And then those guys can start to make money. So then, like, I don't know, you ever watch skateboarding? So yeah. Chad Muska. So he was a skateboarder that listened to rap music, that had, that had a boom box, that had big, like, had big uh, rap shoes on. He listened to rap on his boom box. He was a hip-hop guy. But he was playing skateboarding. He did skateboarding, and I was really into No Limit and Cash Money. You know what I mean? Like I love yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So, but me getting to know a little bit about him made me buy his boards, made me buy his stuff, right, from the company, and then the company probably gave him a kickback for every pro board he sold. You know what I mean? Which was tons, and then he had shoes, and he made money off of those. If that's how these kids are going to make money, and there's no companies that are getting involved like that where they should be, where it's like, hey. Let's figure out who these people are. They're fun to watch. Everybody's different. You can't say who's the best, right? You can't say like, other than Gordon, you can't say, well, Cade Rotolo, if he was as big as Gordon Ryan, he might beat him. Very true. Who the hell knows? Because these kids are murderers and, and they can, I believe that they can catch anybody. So like they can submit any human being, I believe, on the right circumstances. But they're yeah. just—they're not like. Of course, the heavyweight's always going to have the the ability. So Buchecha, between me and you, I like Buchecha. But was yes. Buchecha the cleanest jujitsu? So, so when I watched him, he was all over the place. Like he made things happen. He was very strong. He—it he, was definitely a nuance of him understanding where he was in that moment in time in training, right, in movement. But in reality, there was much cleaner efficient fighters than him he just made it happen with his body right yeah. like if you watch half of his sweeps his sweeps are not like very fundamentally or technically sound foot sweeps he knocks a guy off balance he starts to come up he's a strong dude and he drives through and he gets the two you know and and so there's not to say that that Buchecha is not interesting he is he's a lot of people's favorite fighter but I believe Hodolfo was a much more technical fighter than Buchecha. Or even, you could say Hoffa. Right, right? Hoffa. Hoffa's the most technical person on earth. Probably. Yes. Right? I mean, maybe right. maybe Tynan is on is on his way to being next. Right? So Perhaps. he goes, Hoffa, Kubrinha, and Tynan is on his way soon. So, or Lucas Lepreus. But I don't like Buchecha. Who do I like? I like Hodolfo. I like Hodolfo because of the way his smash passing and... I like a lot of his, his injuries. So it's just like skateboarding. I don't have to like the number one guy. I just have to like his techniques, the way he does things. And then if I get to know him personally, I, then and I like him personally, then bam, all those things compound each other. And we're talking about why people like Tony Hawk, why people like Chad Muska, why people like these guys, or why people like certain basketball players. It's because you get to know them as a people, but I don't think we've, Michael Jordan, we don't, but we don't get to know these grapplers as well. That's why Daisy Fresh did so well. Mm -hmm. A fascinating observation. You got to know them. And we need to do that, and companies need to get step in, and rather than just like putting their little brand on them, they need to invest some money into filming them, into following them, into their training, so we get to know who they are, and then offering us a pro shirt or a pro this or a pro that yeah. of, theirs, yeah. of theirs so that we can support our favorite fighter, athlete, and then... There you go. There's more money in the sport and there's more opportunity for those fighters or those athletes to invest in themselves and say maybe no to ADCC if it's bad. Let's say ADCC is like UFC and they're going to keep you in a contract that where unless you're the best in the world, you're making nothing. 
right? right? Where it's probably in other people's interest to fight every month in different different organizations. Unless right. unless you're Gordon Ryan or you're guaranteed to win the the open. You know, you're not guaranteed to win the open. You're guaranteed to probably take your division. Right. So like maybe it's smart for Nikki Rod to stay, for Kynan Duarte to stay. But other than that, guys like Lachlan Giles, who blessed us with an amazing 2018 run in the fight and the open weight, we wouldn't have that, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if they start to make it where, oh, you can only roll with us, or you can only you can only compete with us, well, then that's when you're going to start to see like people that are going to need help, and that help needs to come in the form of sponsorships that are actually investing in the the people. That's fascinating. I I, I don't know why I had I didn't even have that observation like you did of just simple things like merchandise. Like when I think of Michael Jordan, of course, we think of the jerseys, the shoes. When we think about whatever, Tony Hawk, we think about the skateboard decks, the shoes or whatever, maybe the game. Why don't we have any of that for Gordon Ryan this or, you know, anyone else, you know? I think we're going to soon. Hopefully I'm in the right people's ears, you know, so I have a, I have some friends here and there. Hopefully the idea is there and it's, and that the teams can be built. And so it doesn't have to be a team of all people from one gym. But I think having a team, having like a merchant, a gi team, and you getting those guys and going on the, picking them up, going on a seminar tour with them. Maybe they go to one or two different events. You kind of see their behavior and their actions. And you get to enjoy that that video that whatever puts out. Let's say it's, I'm going to mention a company that doesn't have, it's not a big company, but Dream. So it's a very small company. It's a company that, that I, I like a lot. J-R-E-A-M brand. Um, they were very, very kind to me. And let's say that they, they did they did a team. They did the dream team, right? Which would be fucking fantastic because that's perfect. <laughs> you, you get six guys that are really exciting to watch jiu-jitsu. Maybe they're not going to win everything, but you got Tommy Laniker. I love watching Tommy Laniker, right? Yeah, Tommy Laniker is fun to watch. He's awesome yeah. to watch. I will watch every match he has. So you get some of those guys in a group and you get to know who Tommy Laniker is. Who is Tommy Laniker? Nobody knows. There may be one or two interviews, but you don't get to know the personal side. So you, you're not personally invested. You're more invested in, is this match up? Who's he going against? And a lot of times I don't have all day to watch. So I'm watching my phone for the result. And then after I read the result, I don't like it. I don't watch it. The same thing with, with, with MMA is that I got to stop myself from looking at results because that means that I'm not going to pay attention to it. I'm just not going to like it because I know who wins at the end. You know, I, I like watching things that, that I don't know what's going to happen. I, I hope it gets to that level. I hope ADCC gets to that level and that other companies will grow off of ADCC so that they can bring the fighters the money or the athletes the money. And ADCC still makes buku bucks and they're doing fine. I, I think Mo is a really, really good person to have in charge of this. I don't know him personally as, as a person, so I'm not going to say he's a good person. As a person who's in charge of something, he's doing incredibly well, and congratulations to him. Only thing I ask is, can we cut it out with the Hall of Fame shit? <laughs> but what's your take on that? It's the longest thing on God's green earth. Dude, man, <laughs> it was so long. Killing me. I, 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 oh. It should be a secondary event. Yes. Let everybody go. Let it be a party. Rent out a club do the ceremony, charge people to get in and film that and then have it the same way that the UFC does it. UFC does their Hall of Fame and they don't have like inductees in the middle of the thing. That thing took so goddamn long, man. I think, and I love Henzo. Henzo's speech was so long. (laughs) Henzo talked for so long. 
I love him. I love him to death, but he talked forever. Totally. I left, I came back, and they were still doing it. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay awake this long. It's already like, when are the finals? There's some things I think could change, you know, so let's change that. But all over, I think Mo is probably the most capable person that we've seen in charge of something, and I think good on him. Hopefully he doesn't become Dana White. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It could happen, man. It, the UFC wasn't crazy for a while. It became crazy really, really quick. Gordon Ryan complaining about Nicky Rod greasing. And uh, Felipe was complaining that he was, well, they both were. Gordon earlier had had accused Nicky Rod of greasing during their event. And then uh, Felipe also was saying he was slippery. So your depends thoughts? on how he's greasing. So there's a couple different ways to grease. There's the stuff that you can put on yourself like Vaseline. Then there's stuff that you can put into your pores that don't come out until you sweat. And then there is foods that you can eat, like garlic and certain things like this, that oh. will make you slick as a as a as a seal, right? So like if you eat like raw garlic and you eat certain other things, there's like certain foods that just create like an oily skin. If you're doing it that way, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with greasing through supplementation, as long as it's some food and it's not like a steroid or it's not something that's like it's natural, right? So. The same thing could be said for MMA fighters is like that are fighting as submission guy. You would be really not doing your work properly if you came into a fight with Damian Maya and you weren't eating garlic cloves. That would make <laughs> you just, that would, because that, that would make you kind of like, ew, like grease goo. You know, right, you're right. slippery. It's like, yeah, I would not. do it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get arm barred by him in the 15 seconds. I'm going to try my best to not get, you know, like, so putting it on in that manner, fine. Putting it on grease locally. No. Then there's the thing like, hey, did he cut weight? And did he not take a shower after cutting weight? Like, so if you use like the Abilene or whatever, and you are cutting in the sauna, and from that sauna, you are, you still have Abilene in your body, then retakes the Abilene back in. Is that cheating? Yes and no. It's you not taking a shower and being gross. Yeah, it's you being gross. And I know plenty of guys that do something like that, and I don't think it's cheating and necessarily at the highest level of cheating i think it's just being right around the way of of edging the game but everybody's fucking taking steroids so shut up i was about to ask you that so next questions your thoughts on peds um, the- so we have so many young guys right that are very very talented and it's very hard for me to because it's such a physical sport right and you get guys like the rotola brothers and i don't think the rotola brothers are juicing yet Maybe they are, maybe they're not. I, this is so, just so you guys know, I'm not blaming anybody. I just don't know, right? There's some guys that I'm almost sure are, but I don't know either. So me saying like Gordon Ryan juices is is stupid because I don't know he juices. I think he does. I think Nicky Rod does. I think Felipe Pena does. Felipe Pena has, right? So we know he's been busted, right? right? He was yeah. busted by the, by the worlds. So there's a yes. good chance that during Nogi's, he's juicing. Where they where they don't have anything, and then I look at guys that that are that are so talented and they're just not as athletic as other people. Does that count them out as the best jiu-jitsu fighter? So it's like, should these kids do it? So I mean, it's like, sh- like if the other guys are doing it and they're just not as athletic as the other people, should they also do it? It, it comes down to I think, yeah, we should all be on even playing fields. But I don't care. I I can't care enough. Like it's not my it's not my responsibility. If I was Mo, it'd be my responsibility. If I had some kind of degree or if I had some kind of 
like I had to do something for the community and this was a big problem and people were getting hurt or people were, were being affected by this, I would have to change it. But for me, I, I don't have to change it and thank God. And everybody in MMA at some time was juicing. Everybody was taking something off like cycling. The same thing is happening with jujitsu athletes. I think that they're all cycling. Um, not every single one of them, but I think the ones that are losing very, very narrowly, maybe not, maybe not juicing. What do you tell that guy? What do you do? You, what do you tell that kid that would win if he took a cycle? What do you tell him? Like, you say, well, you're just not going to win. Sorry, because the other guys are far more athletic because they are juicing. Likely, they're likely juicing. So how do you how do you make a natural stance on that when you say like, well, this guy is going to be a world champion and he's going to get all of the flowers and he's going to be told he's best in the world and he's going to win three in a row. Wait. You've had battles with him that were razor thin, and it had nothing to do with technique. It had to do with who was the better athlete there, and that person stinks like he's doing steroids. What do you do? What do you tell? What do you tell your co like? As a coach, you can't say anything, but you just you're just like quietly. You're in your head. You're like, I hope he fucking gets the picture at some point. <laughs> it's sad. It's, I mean, it's sad. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm, a dilemma. A man. So I'm not. So when I'm talking to you as a competitive coach, I'm talking to you as a competitor. I'm not talking to you as a, as a father. I'm not talking to you as somebody as a moral high ground. I'm, I'm saying sure. what is actually happening in front of us. And we know that this is happening. We know that people are losing to other people that are doing steroids. We know that people are clean and they're losing. We also know that there's people that are clean and winning, but we don't know that many people that are clean winning for a hundred percent because there's always something that a smell test that kind of like, well, maybe, you know, it's like he might be clean, but yeah, that's my thought process is that. I think it's everybody's choice. Make your own choice, but if you make the choice, be honest about it. I think that's that'll be important. Like, and even though that may affect kids and that may affect how we look at things, like saying that my name is so and so and I take steroids because of this or I've taken in them during this will really it'll open them up for a lot of like being persecuted against. Or what do you say? You know, like I get it. Jiu-Jitsu is supposed to be for kids. It's supposed to be for a, for everybody, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about the highest level. Does anybody hate Mark McGuire? Does anybody hate, you know, like Mark, Mark McGuire, everybody loves him. They hate, Barry, Bonds. They hate Barry Bonds, but they love Mark McGuire. You know what I mean? They, they, they love Derek G it's like Derek Jeter did everything without steroids, but did, but Alex Rodriguez didn't. But of course, Alex Rodriguez is yeah. a multi, multi billion. He's a billionaire. I think by now he owns so many things. And then he's on shark tank. He's on shark tank. So he can't say that steroids didn't help him through his life. It didn't help him get to where he is. It, they, they certainly, he felt like he needed them. He did them. And now he is still in a good position in his life. And you're going to tell the kid that didn't do steroids. Well, you didn't do steroids. High five while he's fucking working at Burger King. You know, like that's sad. That That's unfortunate. So the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to circle back to like uh, the, the original part of our conversation where we started recapping where you were when we originally talked in terms of academy culture and how you were dealing with, uh, you know, having to purge a certain student who or or maybe more, who knows, or multiple times of this, where you just were not the right product for him and you guys were, were not the right fit for each other. Do you think, you know, looking back, would you have handled things differently? How do you think... Uh, Academy owners can optimize and handle that and pros and cons of uh, of doing these things. Lessons learned. The biggest thing that you can do to protect your academy is when it's happening, you give them a chance 
And then after that one chance that you that you open up with them, you say like, "Hey, this is like you know, I don't want it to be like this." You know, I I always tried to be honest with people and be like, "Hey, this is what I feel is going on. How do you feel about this? You know, like, are, you, are is this how you really feel? Because I feel like this is like, no, no, no." And then once it's it's over, right? Like, and then they do it again. Get rid of them. Don't wait. It just causes more. They just latch on to more people, and they're able to just take over. Like take over, they're going to be much more resentful, and they're going to take more people with them. But might as well just get them out of there before they're they're completely garbage. Right, it can be like an infection, right? That sort of spreads. Exactly, right? culture spreads. So toxicity is as well spreads very fast. And then I had another like hard left question in terms of: Have you ever coached, instructed a child who is missing a limb? I have not instructed a child that's missing a limb. I've seen like adults without limbs, but they already knew jiu-jitsu. I've helped instruct a child that had no vision, that was blind. They do really, really well in jiu-jitsu. But I would probably have no issue with, I mean, like, like, the only thing I'd have to think about is like, how can I use this for their benefit? Like, no limb means no underhook, Right. right? So the kid can never be held down on one side. So if he plays his half guard on one side, how are you going to hold that kid down? The reason I asked Melky is just because I've had a couple academies, a couple of instructors ask me this question, not only because of the, the technical questions in terms of what you were getting into, but also the interaction with the other children. So for instance, if uh, a kid comes in with one arm, specifically, let's say this case, and then the other kids don't want to interact or you know roll with this kid or whatever because... It's just, you know, you're a child and this is foreign to you and strange to you. And then they start asking questions like, why why doesn't he have an arm and this kind of thing. So there's also this sort of psychological aspect and guidance aspect to it, too. And I've had the darndest time trying to find anyone that's had this experience. And I've asked in all these 65 plus episodes and I haven't found one person yet. But uh, your thoughts? It's the culture in your gym. Of course, everybody's going to look. Of course, everybody's going to like kind of like have a different feeling about it but with somebody somebody with missing with a limb i feel like it would be the most simple thing because uh, unless it's three four three-year-olds and four-year-olds but still it's the culture bring it up talk to the kid let the kid explain you know like oh, i lost my arm or i was born without an arm i do this i'm you know like i like this i'm realize that he's a normal person tell people that this is a normal thing that happens it's just not that often you're going to see it there's so many people out there and try to get the, the team to rally behind this person and see what they can, how good they can make this kid's jiu-jitsu. Because at some point, it just has to be said. Everybody has to be made aware that, they, that everybody knows so they can stop with the, the quiet talk or the whispering or the looking at them. And then you tell everybody in the gym, if you do not accept this kid, you're not welcome in my academy. And that's how I would tell every, every single kid there. If you have an issue... That's your issue, and I'm not. I'm not interested in, in in having you here. And all the kids are gonna, I believe, they're gonna hop onto this because, number one, I'm the I'm the I'm the leader. Number two, whatever I I accept, they accept. And number three, these kids are deep down good kids that I that I develop. You know what I mean? Like that are maybe their parents develop, but I develop them in the culture of the gym, and that's not our culture. Our culture is we accept everybody. And I have a. Uh, soon to be brown belt coach that was auti- has autist- is autism and he went from not being able to talk, not being able to do things to being able to speak really, really well to people, 
to interacting and, he, and be very, very, very good at jiu-jitsu. And he came in and he stunk at it and wow. he was uncomfortable and he didn't know how to have a conversation or be around people. He's now a coach and he's one of the most popular guys on the mat. And everybody has that ability in my gym to be that person. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. So if you have no arm, I would love to see what you could do with that without that arm. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of new jiu-jitsu stuff that's going to be coming around. And my other kids should be privileged to be able to train with somebody that has something that's going to be different for them. You know what I mean? It's, and that's what it is. You've got to look at it like it's a, it's still a game. This person's missing a part of that game. This is going to make it different. Therefore, this will make this, this game a little bit more fun and challenging. And there's a couple of t gyms out here that, or is it, there's like one gym, two gyms in particular to have the same lineage. And I've taught private lessons, or not private, I taught seminars where those students have been a part of those teams or, or by, by my classes. And there's blue belts and purple belts that are getting the techniques so much quicker than these black belts are. It's almost like they have no, the black belt is never, doesn't know how to understand the thought of the body mechanics. I show them this, I show them it again. It's not as complicated as it should. This should be very simple for a black belt to try to move their body in this way. They can't do it, but the blue and the purple belt can't. And the, uh, even the white belts. Right. And I'm like thinking like, who the hell gave him a belt? It's the same guy over and over and over again, all across, this, all across the Southeast. And then they're breeding that same mentality. And those people are, then those black belts are down black belting other people. And they're opening up schools. They all want to own schools. That's their dream. Mm -hmm. And I get it, but you're not, you're not an authority. You know, I can, I just, it just sucks as a, as somebody who works their damn ass off to be as good as you can be. Then it's, then to look at a then to look at a Google ad and it says <laughs> the premier Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school in Charleston. I always want to friggin' throw a shoe at them. <laughs> you know, there's, there's several factors there and things that I bring up on the show that sort of relates to this, right? Well, we all know, like for instance, the great football coaches who never played football or, you know, Danaher, who is it like a tournament gold medals all over him and him being such a high level coach. So I don't think you need to be a competitor. Right. It, but then also, I think we're in a different sort of landscape now in that let's talk about children. You know, you have such a big kids program now and uh, kids are starting in the U.S. now at young ages that we've never seen before, right? In the U.S. In Brazil, they've been doing this, right? But we have, like, babies, like, basically. And uh, then they get 10, they get they get 10, eight solid years, solid years of, like, kick-ass jujitsu, and they are monsters, right? They're monsters. And then we saw people like, and I use this example over and over, I'm sorry, sorry, listeners, Colabate, when he was a blue, a quote-unquote blue belt, right? Just destroying black belts, right? There seems to be this change, and there has been now with the Rotolos, who are now kind of adults, this, this point where they've had so much more data, so many more early years, so much more jujitsu, online instructionals and everything versus, you know, no offense, someone like yourself who went through the old school process of let's just beat each other up or crayonche, you know, not, not share our info with other people until we got to that point where we did. So it's this weird inflection point right now. The difference with that is the people that stink, right, are trying not to stink. So I today watched maybe about 45 minutes of instruction of something that I don't know as well. So I'm trying to know this a little bit better. They're not doing that. They're not forcing themselves. 
after 22 years to still study, to watch matches, to do these things that they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. They, they, they didn't do it when they were uh, white belts, blue belts, purple belts, brown belts. They didn't do it. They still don't do it because it's obvious. In, 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 it's obvious when, when you put those guys out on the mats, right, or the competitors out on the mats, and you can tell they don't know what the hell my, look, my kid just did to their kid. They have zero clue, and they should. If you're a black belt, you should definitely know what just happened. Because that shit, because that shit was a black belt level move. Like you should know why we took the arm there. You should understand, not just be like this kid should be this. No, this kid actually trains and drills like like you did it. These kids come in when I go to see these kids in in four or five minutes, they're going to be drilling when I get there. They're not going to be talking. They may be talking in in each other's guards. But they're not going to be talking on the side of the mat. They're going to be drilling when I get there. And that's why I know that I can get there a little bit late because I know that they're going to be putting their work in. And I know that when I get there, I, I can immediately command and take place because they're going to be drilling. Okay, next thing the drill is this. All right, next thing we're going spider guard. Let's go spider guard to the triangle. And these kids are five, six, seven, eight years old. These are young kids and they're going to hit these moves because they're drilling and we, and we take it serious. And they take it serious. They all have notebooks. We know what we're doing. So should should the kids these ki- are these kids going to outgrow me? They will because my body's going to start to t- t- deteriorate, and they're going to learn more new jujitsu as it becomes created. And I'm going to hold on to the fact that I I know a lot of mechanical details, and I'm going to learn, and I'm going to study, and I'm going to try to stay up and keep up with it. But I don't think I'll ever become useless. Does that make sense? Like I- I'll never I'll never make myself useless in the factor of of that i of my experience in the game because you because because the motto didn't become useless to mike tyson when mike tyson became the best in the world so it's like as long as you are continually being a part of this like i believe like freddie roach manny pacquiao manny pacquiao goes with freddie roach because freddie roach knows him can talk to him can see certain things as a good soundboard for manny pacquiao Manny pacquiao doesn't need a guy who can, can beat him in the ring holding pads for him he needs a guy that will think enough to beat him in the to, if he was somebody else of how to beat him. He goes, he puts himself into Manuel Marquez, you know, like body, and he goes, I could beat him with this. Careful, careful, Manny, stop that. You know what I mean? Like, so there's those coaches that at certain points you've been involved in the game so long that you can see the nuances. Mm-hmm. That's me. This is me jealous that I didn't get to teach your that <laughs> because you're running Google ads because you're wealthy. Well, well, well here's the thing. No matter what. You're you're doing a disservice because there's five, <laughs> there's four, there's, there's probably three to four good places out here. There's now twelve schools. You're now robbing those people of an actual school where they would be like, holy crap, you know what I mean? Like this is not the same. But you're on the internet saying you're the same. You're on the internet saying you're better, which is horseshit. So that was the mean version of me. So that's where I can say we can end with this because now I've at least pissed some people off, and I'm happy. Once I did that, I at least I at least go the opposite direction one time. Yeah, that's why I love our, our conversations together all the time, man. They're, they're always so enjoyable. Well, Malachi, uh, can you let people know what offerings do you have out there and how do we get a hold of you? Um, so Malachi Friedman, at Malachi Friedman is my Instagram. I have MalachiFriedman.com. That's Podia right now. But it's going to be moved over to that same name. It's going to be moved over to a better site where you're going to have a lot more videos and it's going to look great. It's going to be fantastic. And then you can, uh, the winning corner MMA, that's going to be fantastic. And I'm going to have the winning corner MMA.com or winning corner.com or winning corner MMA.com. I don't know which one I, I have saved. 
and that's going to be my, our instructionals. Just follow me, come to the Facebook page, whenever you're going to find out stuff, you'll get free instructionals. I give out free instructionals every, to every single person that, that joins my group. They get a free sampler instructional where there's at least 25 good techniques in a bundle. So if you follow me, then you'll be able to know more about me. You'll be able to follow what I do and hopefully my jiu-jitsu blends with your jiu-jitsu and you get better from me, and that's what I'm looking to do. Awesome, man. Let's make it uh, sooner than a, a couple of years before we speak again, okay? Please, Adolfo, don't get, don't blow up and leave me behind. <laughs> no way. All right, everyone, thanks again for listening and watching out there. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda, and, uh, you know, thumbs up and the whole thing with everyone. Thanks so much for your time, everyone. See you, Malachi. Take care, brother. Uh, thank you so much, Willis.